All right, and we are live once again. Welcome back to the Fantasy Kingdom show. I am Justin Owens. I'm your host. Uh, you can find me at Joens underscore FF on Twitter. We're going to go ahead and start with the Thursday night recap. Just kind of go over what happened in the game, anything actionable from there. And we're going to jump right into the uh, slate of games that we have this week. I'm going to be giving one player from each team that should either be started or should be sitting on your fantasy rosters this uh, this coming week. Let's go ahead and jump right into the Thursday night recap. Uh, for Kansas City, it was a pretty quiet game for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, definitely pales in comparison to his week one explosion. The Chargers defense does seem to be more stout, so maybe those shootouts that we expected from the AFC West every single week. They might not be happening as often as we expected. Um, Mahomes is still a locked-in top-five quarterback. Just go ahead and set it, forget it. You drafted him for a reason. The backfield in Kansas City does seem to be shifting a little bit. It wasn't quite a 30-30 split like it was last week. Uh, McKinnon and CEH really dominated the backfield, about a 50-50 split between the two. Uh, McKinnon did outsnap CEH, but see uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire dominated the opportunities with almost 60% of the running back opportunities. However, I am still in the the camp of trade high on CEH while you can. Uh, week one, two touchdowns, not overly sustainable. Week two, he saved his game on a 52-yard run at the end there. Other than that, he wasn't looking very efficient. McKinnon was in there in the red zone, so if there's someone out there that is just looking at the box scores, is just looking at the fantasy points, try and capitalize, package CEH together with someone, and go get yourself a more stable, uh, consistent running back that is maybe having a little bit of a down start to the season already. Um, Patrick Mahomes is staying true to his word. He said, we don't know who the number two wide receiver is going to be on a weekly basis behind Travis Kelsey. Uh, this week, it, turned, it seemed to be uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the, uh, him and Kelsey both tied with seven targets for a 21% target share each. Juju, who we thought was going to go ahead and break out and be that number two guy, that consistent guy that Mahomes can lean on whenever Kelsey is getting covered or doubled. Uh, he only got three targets, so not a good follow-up on the promising first game he had. Uh, it will be a guessing game. It does seem like it will just be dependent on the, the cornerback slash defense matchup that the Kansas City Chiefs have. Uh, I'm not looking to really play that game this year. If I need to, I'll throw one of those guys in my flex between Juju, Nicole, MVS, but I really don't want to touch anything outside of Kelsey in this passing game. Uh, on the Chargers side, Herbert was an absolute monster. He had 48 pass attempts over 300 yards and three touchdowns. We are keeping an eye on the injury news because he did take a shot. He is being evaluated for his uh, his ribs, I believe is what I had seen. So i uh, going to definitely keep an eye on that. But he gets the long rest uh, until Sunday next week following this Thursday night game. So I don't expect anything serious to come out of it. But you never know. Keep an eye on the, on the news. This will obviously affect the entire offense. So uh, something to really, really monitor as we go through into week three. Eckler had his bounce back week after a slightly down week last uh, in week one. Uh, between Eckler, Williams, and Gerald Everett, they each had 10 targets apiece. 
So the, the passing game really consolidated this week compared to last week where Herbert was just spreading the ball all around. It's good to see Eckler back in there getting that passing down work after a quiet week one. Uh, and on top of that, Eckler also had four red zone touches. Uh, it was a little bit concerning at first because they did put Sony Michelle in there early for the first goal line carry. Uh, Horvath comes in from the fullback position and vultures another touchdown uh, off of the play action plays. So it is a little frustrating to see someone like Eckler who put up 20 touchdowns last year kind of not get the work that we would expect from someone who scored 20 touchdowns. Um, with the lack of success that they're having on the ground, not using Eckler in the red zone, I would expect to see this uh, correct, as we did see, as I said, Eckler got four of the, the red zone touches following Sony's uh, first miss and also Joshua Kelly's first miss in the red zone. So I, I expect that to go ahead and even out. Eckler's going to be fine. He's going to be RB uh, an RB1 candidate just like every year, just what you drafted him for. Nothing to worry about. Uh, excitingly, we did get the Mike Williams break uh, bust, bust out game again. He was another player who last week was very quiet, very disappointing uh, for fantasy managers. But he comes out, uh, 10 targets, as I said, 8 catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Just absolutely love to see it. Um, we know that this is a, a product of Keenan Allen being out, but this is also a game that we can see with Keenan Allen out there. This is just this is the player that Mike Williams is. He's going to put up these big monsters 20-point games, and he's going to disappear for uh, a, a couple weeks here or there with four to five point games that's just that's the roulette that you play that's the that's the game that you're playing when you draft mike williams that's why he was in the third fourth round and not in the second round uh for those that are looking for tight ends i really hope that you grab gerald everett again 10 targets at the tight end position is just you love to see that that's something that you you just don't find anywhere um, so the fact that he was able to get 10 targets and convert six of them for catches for 71 yards, that's a solid tight end performance. It's not anything crazy. He didn't get the touchdown. So he might still be hanging out there on your waiver wire. If he is and you are streaming the position, go get him. It's only going to get better from here. Um, even when Keenan comes back, his 10 targets might turn into six targets, which again, at the tight end position, not a problem. That's something that you'll have to deal with. Um, but this is a, a very strong, a very powerful offense, and you want pieces of that offense, especially if you can get them off the waiver wire. Uh, Josh Palmer uh, got bailed out at the very end of the of the game with a touchdown. Uh, he was pretty quiet overall, but he did have eight targets, so I do think that it's safe to play Palmer anytime that Keenan Allen or Mike Williams are out. Uh, he's clearly the number two wide receiver, um, when either of those other guys are out. So it is a, another piece of this offense that you want. You can get very cheap on the waiver wire still maybe. Um, and, and he can just be slotted right in to go ahead and provide some relief for uh, your fantasy team later on. Uh, that's it for the Thursday night game. Not a whole lot of actionable advice there. It's just kind of uh, the biggest thing I would say, sell CEH if you can. Uh, he's still riding off of just outlier type plays like a 52 yard run to save the uh the rushing production uh and two touchdowns from week one i don't i don't see it lasting uh so sell while you can uh we're gonna go ahead and switch now and jump into the matchups for week two uh, for from each of these matchups i'm going to look at each team and try to provide one player that i either think is a good start 
um, a good sit or someone that I, there's not really a player on the team that is a good start or sit. I wouldn't feel confident starting them. Uh, and they're not really someone that I would, you know, say sit because they're obvious sits, but maybe a watch. Uh, just to keep an eye on the usage, again, kind of like last week where we're, we're keeping an eye on the usage, we're keeping an eye on the routes run, where they're being used, those types of things. So we're going to jump right in. We're starting again with the highest scoring games, with the best over-under totals, uh, and we're going to go ahead and work our way down from there. Up first is Arizona Cardinals versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, another game with big-time shootout potential. Arizona has shown that they have a bad defense. Um, especially on the outside, and guess who's on the other side for the Raiders? Devontae Adams, who has already torched the um, Los Angeles Chargers, so I think this is a good smash spot. I think we have another potential shootout here. For the Raiders, I'm going to say sit Hunter Renfro. Uh, like we were, I was saying, the Cardinals do have a bad defense, but they're weak on the outsides. Um the tight end position scored a lot. The outside wide receiver scored a lot, but uh, the slot wasn't really doing a whole lot last week. They didn't really have to do a whole lot, but they also didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I think this game is Waller and Adams all day. How much does that leave Renfro? I don't see it being much. He only had an 18% target share in week one, so that kind of might be his floor, and I think this is a floor game for Renfro again. Um, he might get bailed out with a touchdown, but that's not something that I'm willing to bet on. If I have better, op if I have uh, someone that I'm considering at flex with Renfro, I'm probably going with the other player. Uh, for the Cardinals side, I don't really have a start or sit. The starts are kind of obvious. They're very shallow right now on the offensive side. So you're starting Connor, you're starting Hollywood, uh, but I want to continue to watch Eno Benjamin. Uh, I, I brought him up in Week One. Uh, in the week one primer as a watch. I'm just going to continue to watch him because he did get decent usage as the RB2 behind James Conner, uh, especially in the passing game. He is the he got 33% of the opportunities, four targets, which is something you'd love to see. Uh, I'm going to continue to monitor the usage and just see if uh, anything gives and they start to kind of siphon some of the tar uh, carries from Connor and start to feed them to Eno. If that happens, it's going to be wheels up. Grab him now before he blows up. Because if anything does happen to James Conner, if he does suffer an injury like he has many, many times in his in his uh, career uh, as a guy who runs to contact, uh, Eno Benjamin is going to just absolutely smash in that role doing everything from catching the ball to running the ball. He'll have volume. He'll have... Uh, passing game opportunity is just going to be it's going to be exciting to watch if he does get that opportunity. Uh, moving on to the next matchup, we got the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is another one that has uh, potential uh, shootout implications. Uh, I'm very confused as why Philadelphia is favored by two points here. I get it; they looked good in Week One, but they also beat up on a weak Lions defense. Um, whereas Minnesota looked good on both sides of the ball. So if I am making a bet, I'm going to go ahead and say that Minnesota is a very safe bet getting two points this week. Um, it is in Philadelphia, so that might be why like it's just like a close enough game, like kind of pick them and the home team's just getting the slight advantage, but still two points is, is enough for me to go ahead and say go Minnesota if you're making that bet. Um, for, the, for fantasy purposes on Philadelphia, I'm going to say start Miles Sanders. Uh, he has a 
he was strong, efficient runner last week. He was uh, taking big chunks of yardage from the the Detroit Lions. Uh, again, we're saying they're a bad defense, so I don't know how much weight to really put on it. But I do think the Philadelphia Eagles game plan is run, 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 throw to A.J. Brown. Run, 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 throw to A.J. Brown. So I think it's safe to go ahead and start Sanders. He's the first man up in that backfield. He's going to get the bulk of the carries, and that's what they want to do. They want to run the ball, um, and the Vikings were hurt most by A.J. Dillon on the ground, so I think it's kind of a good skill match where Sanders isn't quite the runner that Dillon is, but I think the offensive line balances that out, so I think Sanders is going to be a strong start. Um, On the Vikings side, I'm going to say start K.J. Osborne. Um... Darius Slay is going to be on the outside covering Justin Jefferson all game. That's not going to stop Jefferson, but I do think that it will lead to Osborne getting more targets out of the slot uh, where he was running uh, 43% of his routes last week, which was the, the high on the team. It looks like he has taken over that slot role from Adam Thielen from what week one suggests. Um, obviously, if whoever's in that slot role, I think is going to be the most productive here. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown last week just absolutely dominated the Eagles from the slot position. So whoever is running in that slot, which I think it's going to be KJ Osborne based off of the week one usage, that's a, I'm going to go ahead and fire him up in my flex spot and hope to see a good bounce back this week. Uh, moving on down, this game is not going to be really a shootout. It looks very lopsided. It is the Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. Uh, Buffalo looks to keep things rolling and the Titans are really just bad in my book. Um, so from the Titans, I don't really have a player I want to start. Uh, that's going to be a theme throughout the week, the, the season until proven otherwise, but I don't want to start anyone against this Buffalo Bills defense. Obviously you're starting Derrick Henry. You're not benching your first round draft pick, uh, just because he's going up, up against a tough defense, but I really don't like anyone outside of Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans this week. Uh, so I'm going to say watch Traylon Burks again. Told you to watch him from the week one primer, but I just, again, don't want to say start him. If Kyle Phillips is missing, I want to see what Tannehill is looking for, uh, who he's looking to, and if it does continue to be Burks, if Burks is able to go ahead and secure a good target share, that makes it more promising and more easy to start him when he doesn't have the the matchup from hell in the Buffalo Bills. On the Bills side, uh, Devin Singletary is going to be my start this week. Uh, He didn't get crazy usage in the blowout in week one, but I do think that the Bills were just trying to make an absolute statement in week one, just laying the smackdown on the Super Bowl champion Rams. Uh, Josh Allen just wanted to take control of the game and put the uh, the NFL on notice that he's coming for not only the MVP, he's coming for that Lombardi trophy this year. in a game that should be a lot less competitive, a lot less emotion-filled, uh, I think that the once the Buffalo Bills get their lead, they're just going to take it easy. They're going to hand the ball off repeatedly to Devin Singletary to just close the game out. Uh, Singletary led the running backs in carries. He had eight compared to Zach Moss's six, and James Cook only got the one where he fumbled, so we'll see if that changes any, but... Um, uh, Singletary was highly efficient with his carries. Uh, he had a 5.9 true yards per carry, which isn't great, but it's not. It, it's a very decent number. Uh, so I expect him to bounce back and have low-end RB2 numbers this week. 
I'm chugging right along. We're going to the Washington Commanders at the Detroit Lions, which I feel like is the sneakiest shootout game of uh, of the week. The Lions have a bad defense. I don't think the Commanders' defense is that great, especially without Chase Young. Uh, so I I think that it's going to go ahead and be the highest scoring game on the entire slate this uh, this week. Uh, again, if you're a betting, uh, if, if you're someone who wants to make make a bet, I would take the over on this game 100%. Uh, the over-under right now is sitting at, let me double-check that, the over-under is sitting at 48.5. Uh, I, I think that's that's not crazy high. I mean, the Lions put up over 30 points last week. The uh, Commanders put up 27, I think it was. So it, it's, definitely, it's definitely doable for both offenses, and I think both defenses are bad enough to allow it. For the Commanders, though, I am going to say sit Jahan Dotson. I know it's exciting. He got two touchdowns last week, but he only had five targets. And people are running out to best-case scenario saying Jahan Dotson is going to be the wide receiver one here. Let's slow down. That's not it. Avoid the touchdown trap. Uh, Terry McLaurin only had four targets in in week one. And we all know that's not going to happen uh, every single week. That's not going to be the trend throughout the entire season. So I do expect that uh, between a Terry McLaurin bounce back, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, uh, Dotson's going to have to earn more than a 10% target share, which he had in week one, to be fantasy viable. He might have these games where he blows up for a touchdown or two, but it's not something where it's going to be consistent. If he can start showing consistency and commanding targets and becoming the number two behind Terry McLaurin, then maybe I'll go ahead and feel confident starting him. Right now, he's a big avoid. On the Lions side, uh, it's actually the opposite for me. I'm going to go ahead and say start DJ Chark. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is going to go ahead and continue and command his 10-plus targets a game, uh, eating up the middle of the field. But Chark is once again set up to produce, and he sneakily had a 22% target share last week. Uh, He was able to put together a decent game going up against Darius Slay, who is one of the top coverage corners in the NFL. Um... And this week, it's going to be an even easier matchup for Chark, who is going up against Kendall Fuller, who is the 52nd ranked cornerback, according to uh, Cody Carpentier on playerprofiler.com. Chark had a 15.8 average depth of target on his eight targets and 126 air yards in week one. That wasn't good enough for number five in the NFL. Uh, So I think that these deep targets are going to continue to be a thing. Uh, When Goff does take a shot down the field, it's going to be Chark. They don't really have anyone else running down the sideline, so uh, while he might not be the most consistent guy, I think he's going to have absolute monster games, and this is definitely one of them. I'm plugging him into my flexes. I'm waiting for that big blow-up uh, for him to get another touchdown, 80-plus yards, and and a good amount of catches. Um, moving on, we got the Atlanta Falcons at the LA Rams. This is another game that I do not expect to be competitive the Rams are going to want to come back and prove that they are still a Super Bowl caliber team. Are they? I don't think so anymore. But they're going to want to try to prove that they are. Um, and my sh- my start for the Rams might be a little bit shocking. But I'm going to go ahead and say start Cam Akers. All of the talk out of um, the Los Angeles practices and all of the talk from Sean McVay this week has been that Cam is earning the opportunity to go ahead and prove himself after a very disappointing week one where he only received 12 snaps because of his lack of urgency. He's getting the opportunity. He's saying all the right things, apparently. And 
uh, as we saw in the offseason, McVay doesn't really mince words. He's not really one of those coaches who's trying to fool the media, fool the other coaches. He's just telling it exactly how it is. So if he's saying Cam is earning the opportunity, I'm going to go ahead and believe him. And if Cam does get the opportunity and is able to get at least a 45% opportunity share in this backfield, I think he's going to come out pissed off. He's going to come out hungry to prove everyone wrong that he's uh, he's hurt, he's washed, he's not he's not like there to win. I think he wants to prove everyone wrong on that end. And against this Atlanta defense, I think he is just going to absolutely eat. Um, on the Falcons' side, I don't really have anyone that I want to start. Again, I think this is going to be an absolute blowout. The Rams are going to come out and just absolutely make an example of the Falcons that you can't just walk all over the Rams this year again, even though that's exactly what Buffalo did. Uh, but I do want to watch Tyler Algier. Uh, he was a healthy scratch in week one, so it's not a promising start. That's why I don't want to say to start him or anything like that. But Damian Williams did go down in week one in the first quarter uh, with an injury. So Algier is looking to be active this week. He's uh, We'll see how he fits into this backfield now uh, with Corderell Patterson. I do expect this game to be a lot of Patterson. So if I did have a start suggestion, it would be him. Um, but I do want to see how often they get Algier in there, what his uh, usage looks like, if he's just going to be a between-the-20s grinder, um, or if they might leverage him in some more uh, goal-line red zone looks, if they get any. Uh, this week, it'll be interesting to see. Algier did have a strong profile coming out of college. He had an 85th percentile dominator uh, score, uh, over 1,800 yards, 23 touchdowns, and 28 catches in his final year at BYU. So he is a guy that has potential, but we need to see what he looks like with NFL opportunity to see if he is someone that is going to be worth rostering towards the end of the season. Uh, moving on down, the games start to get uglier and uglier here. Uh, I really don't like a lot of these matchups for fantasy this week. Uh, I, I think the, the last matchup that I, I, I would really feel confident in starting a, uh, some questionable players would be the Falcons at Rams. Um, but moving right along, we're going into the Indianapolis Colts at Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, on Indianapolis side, I don't really have a start, um, but I do want to say let's watch Ashton Doolin, especially if Michael Pittman is out. Uh, we don't really know who the true wide receiver two is in this Indianapolis team. Uh, they're starting off with two very weak matchups, so we won't even really get to see what they look like in a very pass-heavy game where they might be playing from behind. Um, but... For week one, when they did tie the Houston Texans, uh, Ashton Doolin was the number two wide receiver behind Michael Pittman. He did have six targets, um, but he was also out-targeted by tight end Kylan Granson uh, by one, so it's it's not like he is the, the clear-cut number two. It's kind of just a, a, a smorgasbord there behind Pittman. But if Pittman misses, we'll get a little bit more of a clear view of who Matt Ryan is looking to uh, when Pittman's not available. Um, also on the plus side, all of Doolin's targets were coming downfield. He had an 18 average depth of targets, so that's that's an absolutely insane number. If he does continue to get those deep targets and he's able to convert more of them, he will have boom weeks. Uh, we just want to see if there's going to be any consistency there. Um, on the Jacksonville Jaguars side, I'm going to go ahead and just go right back to Travis Etienne, start him up. Uh, he almost had a monster week one he just had two missed opportunities in the red zone. One of them was a bad pass from 
Trevor Lawrence, one of them, he just completely dropped the ball uh, on a on a out route where he could have easily walked into the end zone. Um, I do believe that his upside is capped with James Robinson being back and looking like he is actually back, having no ill effects of the Achilles. Uh, so that does worry me a little bit with ETN, but on the flip side, he did lead the uh, the backfield in targets and routes run. So those high leverage opportunities that we're looking for, ETN has shown that he's getting them. He's getting the passing work. He's getting some red zone work. He's getting some goal line work. So I do think that the fantasy points will follow. It was just a shaky week one with some missed opportunities. Uh, moving right along, as I said, it's going to get quicker and quicker because these matchups just aren't all that sexy for week two. So uh, stick with your top guys. And I would say don't try to get too cutesy. But for Tampa versus New Orleans, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say sit Tom Brady for Tampa. He's coming off of a bad week. He never, ever posts two bad weeks in a row. But I think that if there was a time to do it, it's going to be right now. The entire wide receiver room is missing practice. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, all four of those guys have missed at least one practice this week. And we just don't know who's going to be active, who's going to be healthy, who's going to be actually available for Tom to throw the ball to. Uh, So I'm really not looking to start Tom Brady. I'm not saying to drop him, but if you are able to go ahead and have an extra extra bench spot and you can stream a quarterback this week, I would go ahead and do it. On the New Orleans side, I'm going to go ahead and say start Jarvis Landry. Uh, Most people are already going to be doing that after he had such a large target share last week and he... uh, put up a top 15 performance. I think it's kind of a given that he's going to start, but just because of where he was drafted in fantasy drafts, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Uh, Olave is breathing down his neck right now, just kind of trying to siphon off some of those targets from Landry, but it, it's undeniable. Jameis looks to Landry in uh, in many situations, uh, and Landry is still going to be that PPR monster that we know and love. And it doesn't hurt that Alvin Kamara is not 100%, might even miss the game. We don't know yet, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Tampa Bay did seem to have a strong pass defense last uh, in week one, but I also think that that was just the Cowboys looking bad. Even before Dak went down, they just looked bad. Uh, Jameis should be able to go ahead and have a decent game. I'm not saying he's going to tear them apart, but... If he plays like he did in week one, he's going to go ahead and be able to sustain at least Jarvis Landry and one other receiver, most likely Michael Thomas. Uh, This isn't a flashy efficiency-based play. This isn't really anything metrics-driven. It is just purely volume-driven. I think Landry's going to continue to command targets on targets on targets. Uh, Moving on to the Houston Texans at Denver Broncos. On the Houston side, I'm going to go ahead and say start Rex Burkhead. He got the work. He was one of the top waiver ads uh, of week one. And uh, I do believe that Denver is going to come out similar to the Rams, absolutely swinging, trying to redeem themselves after the embarrassment they suffered in week one. I think Vegas has this right. Uh, Denver is, let's see, is it still? Yeah, Denver is still a 10-point favorite uh, in this game against the Texans. So I think Vegas has it right uh, with that, where it will be an absolute blowout. But that plays right into what you want as a Rex Burkhead fantasy manager. Uh, He's going to be fantasy viable just from the amount of work that he's getting. He was top five in running back targets last week and number four in running back target share with 23%. We know that Damian Pierce isn't a pass catcher and that was proven to us last week yet again. 
Uh, he only had one target and 11% route participation, which is both number 50 and number 59 in terms of running back uh, statistics. Um, the, the touchdown upside isn't really there, so it's not like he's a, a high ceiling play, but he is a very safe PPR play uh, for your flex, for your RB2 if you went 0 RB. It's just kind of something where if you need a running back to start and you don't want to take a 0, go with Rex Burkhead. Uh, on the Denver side, I think that you can go ahead and start their running back as well, Melvin Gordon. Uh, obviously, you're starting Javante Williams, but uh, as I stated before, the Broncos are looking to just absolutely come out and manhandle the Texans. Uh, and we saw that Jonathan Taylor, although he is the best running back in the league currently, he absolutely slaughtered them, uh, putting up over 160 yards on the ground. I think that while Gordon isn't going to do that, He's going to have a ton of opportunities to just rack up yardage. Um, and we did see the split with Javante and Gordon again. Javante got more of the passing work, but Gordon was also the first one to get the red zone and goal line carries. Uh, both Javante and Gordon fumbled on the goal line, so it's not really clear who they trust more at this point. But it is telling that they went to Gordon first. So if that continues and they go back to Gordon and he is able to deliver... I think he has secured up that um, that goal line role, that red zone role, and he will go ahead and provide weekly upside just for touchdowns alone, and I think in this game he's going to get a ton of work. Uh, moving on down to Cincinnati at Dallas, this is a really gross game. Uh, I don't expect Dallas to put up a fight at all, um, but on the Cincinnati side, obviously this is hinging on if T. Higgins is out, start Tyler Boyd. Um, Higgins is progressing through the concussion protocol, but he hasn't passed it yet. And on top of that, he's he's missing practice for personal reasons. We don't know what those are, but uh, I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if he just takes another week, whether it's his personal issues that he's uh, dealing with or if it's his concussion that he doesn't get through the protocol. I don't think Cincinnati is going to need T this week. I think they will be perfectly fine with Chase, Boyd, Mixon. So... If Higgins does sit, you need to start Boyd. Uh, he was the number one uh, receiver in slot rate in week one, and he's going to see a large uptick in targets without Higgins. He's another one of those guys where if Chase or Higgins is missing, he is an absolute must-start in your flex spot. Uh, his upside isn't quite as high as Higgins uh, when Higgins is in, but because of this offense, we love the Cincinnati Bengals. We love Joe Burrow. We think that they're going to be an explosive offense all year. You have to start him. Uh, on the Dallas side, sit Ezekiel Elliott. If you're able to do it, if you have any other running back options, sit Ezekiel Elliott. Um, since he doesn't have to worry about covering wide receivers, they're going to go ahead and stack the box and let Cooper Rush beat them. They're not going to try and get cutesy. They're not trying to do anything. They're going to make Cooper Rush try and beat them, and I don't think that's possible. Uh, the Dallas O-line is already looking bad. They were number 30 on player profiler in terms of run block rating. So if Zeke is having a bad offensive line and going to be facing stacked boxes until Dak Prescott gets back, I want absolutely no part of Zeke. I want no part of this Dallas offense. It, it just looks gross from top to bottom. Um, moving right along, we have... A actually, I, I was wrong before saying that all of these matchups get gross. Uh, there was another sneaky shootout... Uh, kind of hiding down here, but the Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens. It's another sneaky shootout. 
the line uh, from Vegas has already climbed up two points. Uh, we were starting at where were we? We were starting at a 43 point over under, and it's already up to 45. So I think that Vegas is seeing it too that these teams might be a little bit better offensively than we were expecting. Um, on the Miami side, start up Chase Edmonds. Um, they are the underdog in this game. I hope that didn't mess up my uh, streaming there. Uh, OBS said it stopped for a second, so that's a little, little terrifying, but we're back. Uh, sorry if there was a pause in anything. But uh, again, for Miami, I'm starting Chase Edmonds. Miami is the underdog in this game. Uh, and per Adam Leviton from Establish the Run, Miami led the NFL in pass rate over expectation in a game that they were winning by two touchdowns. Uh, I think this means that Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Chase Edmonds, all safe bets. They combined for 65% of the team's targets in week one. Um, even if he's not efficient on the ground, I think Edmonds is, is going to be able to provide enough volume on the ground and the air to go ahead and give you a flex-worthy slash RB2 performance this week. Um, he is number eight in running backs in terms of yards per route run with 2.5 yards. So he's efficient in the air. He has the potential to have uh, breakaway runs. So we've seen it before from Edmonds. We just have to see it this season uh, in Miami. Uh, moving to the Baltimore side, I'm going to go ahead and watch Rashad Bateman. I don't love the matchup, so I don't want to say start him. But I'm not really confident in any Raven this week outside of Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I do want to see if Rashad Bateman can command more targets, especially going up against uh, Xavier Howard, who is the number 16 ranked DB, uh, accor again, according to Cody Carpentier. Um, I'm looking elsewhere for this week, but I do want to see Bateman command more than an 18% target share. Everyone's focused on Devin Duvernay right now because of the big touchdowns, but I do think that uh, week one we can kind of not throw away, but just discount a little bit because they were playing the New York Jets. Uh, in an actual competitive game, it will be interesting to see where Lamar's looking. Um, and uh, yes, I, I, I just want to see where, where Rashad is in this, uh, in this offense and if he will become a reliable weekly option at the wide receiver position. Uh, moving on, right on down, we're going to go to Green Bay at Chicago. Gross. Uh, on the Green Bay side, if Alan Lazard is healthy and plays, which he's been getting in limited practices all week, uh, I'm going to start Alan Lazard. I'm going to start Alan Lazard. Um, there, Rodgers had a pitiful game last week filled with drops uh, and just useless production out of his wide receivers, whether it's the rookies or the dusty vets that he has on his team. So if Lazard is able to make it out there, he has built-in rapport already. He's someone that Rodgers has trusted in the past, and I think that he's going to turn to him early and often once he is back healthy. Um... On the Bears side, I'm going to go ahead and say start Darnell Mooney. Last week in the monsoon of a game against the 49ers, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I'm going to say it even further down in, uh, in the show, throw out week one for San Francisco and the Chicago Bears. It was not a real game. That is not a game where anything is predictive, Anything, any of those stats aren't going to help us uh, see how either of these teams are actually. So I think Darnell Mooney is fine to go back to this week. Uh, he's going to be a very volume-dependent wide receiver, but I think that he's going to go ahead and succeed in that, become, uh, go back to being the target hog in this offense, 
As long as the weather doesn't open back up in Chicago, I think Mooney is flex-worthy this week. Um, moving on along, uh, Seattle at San Francisco. For Seattle, I'm going to go ahead and say start DK Metcalf. He disappointed in week one uh, from a box score and a fantasy points perspective, but he had seven targets and he caught all seven of them with a 100% catch rate. Uh, and those seven targets were good enough for a 26% target share, which is what I'm looking at here. Um, the yardage will kind of come and go with Geno Smith at quarterback. It's not the Russell Wilson offense anymore. He's not going to be getting getting it aired out every single target. But in the four games that uh, DK shared with Geno as the starter last uh, last season, DK finished at the wide receiver 9, the wide receiver 33, the wide receiver 12, and the wide receiver 9. So 75% of his games with Geno Smith as a starter in 2021, he was a wide receiver one. I expect a bounce back. I think everything's going to get back on track. Uh, Seattle was mainly just kind of controlling the ball and, and controlling the game last week. So I, I, I do expect in games where they are trailing, where they are once again eight and a half point underdogs here, I think that we will see more production out of DK Metcalf as they're going to need it to stay competitive in games. Uh, on the San Francisco side, for anyone that is worried about Trey Lance and might be benching him, might be dropping him, whatever you're doing, don't do that. Start him. People are worried, but as I said just one game ago, throw the Bears and the 49ers game from week one out. Don't care that he looked bad. Don't care that he fumbled through an interception. It was an absolute monsoon. Those are conditions that just aren't going to happen like hardly ever in the NFL on a weekly basis. He's perfectly fine. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say that the Seattle defense think like people think that they're good. It was promising, but they got bailed out last week by two bad fumbles from, uh, Denver running backs. They got bailed out by terrible piss poor clock management from Denver. So I don't think that Seattle's defense is as good as they looked on Monday night. Uh, I'm going ahead and putting it out there. Trey Lance is a top five quarterback this week, and it's going to stem from his rushing ability and the deep ball. Uh, I think he connects on at least one deep touchdown and he's going to uh, be rushing for at least 50 yards this week. Lock it in. Uh, moving right along, we're going to the New York Jets at the Cleveland Browns. Yes, that is a matchup we have. Yes, it's fucking disgusting. No, I don't want to do it. Uh, but here we go. On the Cleveland side, I don't really want to start or sit anyone. I think that going against the Jets is one of those matchups where it just, you start anyone that is flex worthy and uh what i'm gonna go ahead and say here is watch donovan peoples jones uh he caught the eye of a lot of fantasy players last week as he put up a 37 percent target share he didn't really do a whole lot with it as he only caught six of those for 60 yards and no touchdowns but he is emerging as jacoby Brissett's go-to guy um if the, if the targets continue this way and he really is that go-to guy, he can be a little bit of a sneaky PPR player while Jacoby's in. Uh, and he has also shown that he can be a deep threat as well. So if he if he continues to dominate the, the target share, if he continues to be the favorite of Jacoby, maybe when Watson comes back in, the ADOT will go up, the big plays will go up, and the uh, touchdown potential will go up for DPJ. So he could be a, a sneaky, sneaky PPR guy that turns into a big play guy later in the season. But it's not anything that I'm willing to take action on right now. I'm just watching, I'm observing, and uh, if it continues to trend that way, I'll snatch him up and go ahead and play him. But until then, I'm hesitant. 
Uh, on the New York Jets side, I'm, again, not wanting to start anyone, really. Uh, I'm just kind of watching to see how everything f- unfolds with Flacco back there. Uh, so I'm going to say watch Corey Davis. Nobody separated themselves from the pack in terms of target share in New York last uh, last week, even though they were the highest passing team in the NFL. It, it just seems like Flacco was going to whoever... And whoever was on the field, whoever was open, whoever could do anything, as he just didn't want to hold on to the ball very long. Um, there was only one wide receiver that was really working downfield, though, and collecting air yards, and that was Corey Davis. So if I am going to watch any of these Jets wide receivers, it's going to be Davis. Uh, he had 131 air yards, which was number four in the NFL. Uh, so if the Jets continue to pass nonstop, Davis has some weekly potential to be a boom flex play. Uh, I'm not wanting to start him, but if he can command more of a target share, if he can earn more targets, uh, they are the right type of targets for fantasy. So, like I said, just keep an eye out. Uh, Moving on, we got the New New York Jets. The New York? New York Jets at Carolina Panthers. Uh, On the Giants side, I don't really have anyone outside of Saquon Barkley that I want to start. But I will say, watch Kadarius Toney. He's clearly in the doghouse. He played seven snaps in week one. But with Wandale injured and just a completely abysmal wide receiver core around him, I don't think Toney will be lasting in the doghouse very long as the team is going to need him if they want to win games. Um, The offense right now is clearly all Saquon Barkley, but that just means that there is room for others to emerge and I think that if Tony can get back on the field if he can prove to himself in practice that he deserves a chance to play and be a part of this team and a part of this offense I think that he has every opportunity to go ahead and produce and I know that there's a lot of people that dropped him in a panic if they did stash him watch and see what he does if he continues to not be used if he's not even on the field for the Giants drop him move on um On the Panthers' side, I'm going to go ahead and say start DJ Moore. Yes, the box score looked bad. Yes, Robbie Anderson looked like the uh, better wide receiver. But from a uses perspective, uh, DJ Moore is the wide receiver one in Carolina. There is no question about that. He he ran every single route uh, on... He he ran a route for every single pass play that the team ran. He had a 24% target share. And we've seen this before with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore where they kind of go back and forth uh, game after game where one of them will have a, a good stretch of games and then uh, Moore will have a good stretch of games then Anderson will have a good stretch of games then Moore will have a good stretch of games. So it's just something where I'm not... He's not going to be consistent. He's not going to be the, uh, the, the guy that we all want him to be in terms of fantasy production. But I do think that he's going to be fine, especially this week. Go ahead and feel free to fire him up. I think he's going to go ahead and bounce back. Uh, For the last game on the slate here, I have New England at Pittsburgh, which is just disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. Um, Mac Jones might not even play. Uh, They looked bad regardless last week. Pittsburgh, uh, Mitch Trubisky just looks bad. They somehow squeaked out a win against Cincinnati, but I really don't want anything to do with this game outside of one player. Uh, I guess there's a couple players, but... We'll get to that. Uh, on the New England side, I'm wanting to watch Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, after being burned last week, I'm not willing to start him. But I will say with Ty Montgomery on the IR, I want to see how the backfield looks now. 
I want to see if it will become consolidated around Harris and Stevenson, or if they're going to try and work in Pierre Strong, uh, maybe even call up Kevin Harris. I don't know what New England has in store for us, but again, I don't want to start anyone, but I just want to see how it's going to play out. Uh, so keep an eye on Ramondre, keep an eye on his usage, routes run, uh, snap share, things of, the, uh, of that nature, and we'll touch back on it after week two. Uh, on the Pittsburgh side, I, I lied. There are players that I want to start. I do want to start uh, Deontay Johnson, and I also want to start Pat Fryermuth. He had 10 targets in week one, and that's something that you can't ignore again, as I stated with Gerald Everett in the recap. You don't ignore 10 targets for the tight end position. Uh, I don't care that it was an overtime game where there were extra plays run. 10 targets is 10 targets for tight ends. There's not many that are going to be commanding a 25% target share on their team uh, outside of the top elite guys. So uh, on top of that, it was the types of targets that Fryermuth was getting. He's leading the, uh, the NFL right now uh, with three deep targets at the tight end position. And he also had one red zone target thrown in there. So while... We don't expect a whole lot out of the Pittsburgh offense. These are the types of opportunities that you love to see from younger athletic tight ends. And if Fryermuth can continue to build on that and keep getting downfield targets, keep getting tight end, or um, I'm sorry, red zone targets, those are exactly what you're looking for for blow up games from your tight end. And again, 10 targets is just a floor that you, you can go ahead and play and plug Pat Fryermuth on a weekly basis and feel safe and then collect those blow up games as they happen. Um, but that is all that I have for this week on the primer. Again, I'm, I'm going out of town this week, as I stated on Twitter. So, uh, just wanted to try and get a quick show out there, but thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you tuned in on YouTube, thank you. Go ahead and please subscribe, like the video, whatever you can. Uh, if you prefer the podcast, I'm over on Spotify right now. Subscribe over there as well. Uh, and feel free to leave any review Uh, that you want, good or bad, I will go ahead and take all uh, critique that I can right now. But thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you on the flip side of week two for the recap.